Who are we? Who is one of us? Who are we part of? Whose humanity do we recognise as akin to ours? Following the massacre in Christchurch and then the Easter bombings in Sri Lanka, we again face questions of them and us as national and global tensions play out in new configurations of violence and terror. In this symposium, community members, academics and artists considered the fraught term, one of us, exploring questions of the normalization of racism, everyday Islamophobia, and the connections between various forms of othering, us and them, in Australia and elsewhere. We open with Rabia Sadiq introducing the symposium. Rabia Sadiq is a history-making humanitarian, an author, an international keynote speaker, and a powerhouse for change. She draws upon her extensive experience as a lawyer, her military career, her psychological training, and her business experience to help us contextualize the questions posed by the symposium. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for attending this symposium this evening, one of us. Most of you would have experienced outside in the Cultural Centre Square the beautiful smoking ceremony and the Garden of Healing. Thank you for attending that. I would also, on behalf of all of us, like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this beautiful land on which we meet and pay my and our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. In the wake of the Christchurch massacre, Prime Minister Ardern addressed her nation and in so doing the world and made a heartfelt plea to her people to see all the victims of the attack as one of us. In contrast, she also refused to speak the name of the attacker, saying that he was not one of us and his name and story would not be spoken of. Tonight, in the wake of the tragic attacks in both Christchurch and Sri Lanka, we come together to ask ourselves, who are we? Who is one of us? Whose humanity do we recognise as akin to ours? All around us, national and global tensions are playing out in new configurations of violence and terror. Racism, Islamophobia, and extremist ideologies are becoming normalised more and more by our supposed mainstream political sentiment. The narrative of othering, the perpetuation of fear and division through the us and them rhetoric is feeding the violence and the mass tragedies that we are now seeing. But this isn't new. It is only that these massacres are happening closer to home. <coughs> and that what is happening in our own backyards has now become a direct causal link and is fanning the flames of radicalisation and violence closer to us. So tonight, this symposium is the gathering of community leaders and community members like you, like me. Academics, artists and experts. 
who in both of our panel discussions and with your thoughtful questions and hopefully equally thoughtful responses and discussion, we come together to ask ourselves what the term one of us means. What it means in the aftermath of the tragedies, of the attacks of the massacres in Sri Lanka and Christchurch. We ask ourselves, what can we all, you and I, do to prevent these kind of atrocities ever happening again in the future? So my name is Rabia Sadiq. It is absolutely my honour to be chairing the first panel this evening and to be introducing the symposium to you. I'd like to introduce now, if I may, Sivendriri Pereira. This symposium was her brainchild amongst a number of others. And she will be sharing with you some of her important and personal perspectives and offering you an explanation and the important backstory that led to the inception and the organisation of this symposium. I'm very proud to be a member of the board of the Museum of Freedom and Tolerance. And we are delighted to have come together with Curtin University to offer this opportunity for important discussion, important questioning, and important provoking of thought that we hope will mobilise into positive action for all of us to make sure that something like this never occurs again, and that extremism and violence and hatred and fear and division will never be committed in our name in our lifetime. Thank you. Let me begin by paying my respects to Uncle Ben Taylor and the other Noongar elders present and thank them for their welcome to country, their generous words and inspirational leadership in anti-racism that they have provided for us year after year. I also would like to thank the artists of the Museum of Freedom and Tolerance, especially Jesse Chen, for the beautiful projection from the Garden of Healing. When we began planning the symposium about five weeks ago today, we had little idea that the mosque killings in Christchurch would be followed a few weeks later by the Easter bombings in Sri Lanka. It is impossible in this moment, however, to discuss the one without the other. Although we know that these two sets of atrocities are not causally linked in a simple chain of tit-for-tat, as has been suggested by some, we think that they are linked in a number of other ways. Firstly, they are now linked inevitably by their proximity in time. They are also linked by the fact that the primary targets in both these instances were worshippers in their holy places. These were people targeted because of who they were and where they were. In that sense, these are not indiscriminate killings. And uh, perhaps the most difficult thing to, uh, to comprehend, although these are both atrocities that are senseless in the way that we use that term, they are surely linked through a violent historical and geopolitical logic. Within the terms of this violent logic, they are not inexplicable acts 
And in this sense, they are two faces of the same coin. When I describe the atrocities in Christchurch and Lanka as two faces of the same coin, please understand that I don't mean this in the simple sense of two sides, one as bad as the other. Rather, I mean that they are related forms of violence playing out on a global terrain, a geopolitical and cultural terrain that at the same time needs to be differentiated. It is through the careful differentiation of the social terrain that, perhaps, we can better make sense, so to speak, of this senseless violence. In the context of violence in a place of worship, the phrase or the question, one of us, acquires a particular weight of meaning. We know that when the killer entered the Al-Nur uh, mosque in, New, in Christchurch, he was greeted with, Hello, brother. When the bomber appeared at the Tamil Zion Church in Batiklo in eastern Lanka, he was greeted as a newcomer again to the, uh, to the church by the pastor and welcomed inside. St. Anthony's in Kochikade in, in central Colombo is a church that is famous among locals because people of all faiths or no faith, um, still patronize this church. They still believe in the miraculous powers of St. Anthony to fulfill their vows and to answer their prayers. This is perhaps a distinctive feature of religion in Lanka that people routinely make offerings and prayers at shrines of different faiths, Catholic, Hindu, Buddhist, we inhabit one another's religions, as someone put it re recently. They are imbricated into our everyday lives and the rhythms of our year. Yet atrocities in the, in the name of religion are far from unknown, especially in recent times. I'm a Tamil, Sri Lankan by birth. I was raised as a Christian, an Anglican. For me, the Easter bombings that day came chillingly close. All over Colombo that morning, various members of my family were going to church. My sister-in-law and her family were due to celebrate Easter lunch at one of the bombed hotels. It's a hotel called the Cinnamon Grand that afternoon. They were spared only because the bombing came at breakfast time. But one of the children who was killed in the breakfast queue at that same hotel was a 12-year-old boy, the classmate of a nephew from another side of my family. As the body count rose and reports about the attackers came in, what was important after the initial sense of shock was a sense of incredulity. In Lanka, there is no history of violence between Christians and Muslims. In recent years, rather, both these groups have been the target of Buddhist majoritarian extremism and violence, both cast as interlopers living on sufferance in a land that is the property of the latter. This is not so different, actually, from the premise of white supremacist thinking that the land belongs to one specific group, and that others are an unwanted presence to be removed 
that they are interlopers. Many of the same tropes characterize white supremacist and singular supremacist thinking. For example, the fear of the interlopers breeding uh, faster and uh, so-called replacement theory. Uh, this was something the Christchurch killer talked about, the birth rates, he said, the birth rates. In Lanka, the ideologies of global Islamism, in which the Christian West is framed as the enemy, were projected onto a very different local environment, where Islam and Christianity, as I've said, historically have coexisted. Contemplating the killings by, of Christians by Muslim extremists and the embrace of a form of Islamism that is foreign to most local Muslims, and for that matter is foreign to most Muslims elsewhere. Lankan Christians and Muslims were both asking in their different ways the question, who are we? Who are we? What counts as one of us? We are us are the most basic units of defining belonging and non-belonging. They are fraught at every term. One of us is a double-edged sword of a term. On the one hand, it signifies kinship, comradeship, community. But community, as we know, also works as a form of exclusion, of a symbolic and sometimes literal refusal, casting out, annihilation of the other. One of us, it's almost always a question as well as a statement. Or to put it another way, within the affirmation of one of us is perhaps always already inherent a question, the signaling, the double-edged nature of community itself. In literary terms, one of us has a long cultural history, pointing the doubt to the doubts and the uncertainties that underlie identification. In his 1900 novella, Lord Jim, Joseph Conrad, one of the most influential and I think perhaps the most enduring uh, writers on empire, tells a story whose defining event is a fatal decision by a young English officer called Jim to jump from his damaged ship. And he abandons on board almost a thousand passengers who are pilgrims on their way to Mecca. For the narrator, this is the puzzle, the irresolvable puzzle of the tale that the handsome blue-eyed Jim, who is one of us by birth and bearing, fails in this monstrous, in such a monstrous way to recognize what is right. Yet for the post-colonial reader, the answer is that Jim and the system that produced him can't actually be so easily separated. So Jim is actually one of us in a different sense that, than that intended by the narrator of the story. <laughs> 